0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, another episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame coming your way. This time we're counting down numbers 30 through 26 on Michael Baldwin's labour of love. We've certainly got one of his heroes in this list of five, all coming up on the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. well, I've got to say, sort of glad I'm not in the room with you this week with the first person um, on this list because I might get covered in your uh, in your drool because we're going to talk first up about one of your cricketing heroes as we continue the countdown of the Cricketing Hall of Fame. So without further ado, um, which New South Welshman have we got um, here at number 30 on the list? Oh, that's good from you, Adam. That's very good. Look, boys, of course... You never forget your first,
1: do you? And what I'm talking about, of course, is cricket bats. You never forget your first cricket bat. My first cricket bat I received Christmas Day, I think I was nine, maybe ten, and it was a Duncan Fernley extra cover. Beautiful bat, pure white on the back, had the green grip, the lime green grip, and the big sort of triangular set of stumps on the back, and Duncan Fernley on the front extra cover. And the reason that it was a Duncan Fernley, of course, was my cricketing hero when I was nine was Alan Robert Border, of course. New South Welshman, born in New South Wales, played a lot of his state cricket for Queensland. And I guess from 1979 until 1993, four played for Australia, 156 tests. And he was my hero, not just because he was a kind of gritty left-hander, but he just looked a lot like my dad as well. You know, he had the, the auburn hair, he had the... The moustache, red moustache, which my dad rocked until I was about four or five, so he had the eighties moustache as well. Gritty, left-handed bat, slight difference in skill level, uh, but an, an ultimate. Yeah, sorry, John, um, <laughs> but an ultimate cricketer for Australia in the nineteen eighties. Alan Border, one hundred and fifty-six tests, one hundred and fifty-three of those were in a row, mm. uh, back to back to back. Ninety-three tests as captain, and uh, ninety-three consecutive tests as captain, and that's the second most as a captain all time in his career. He amassed uh, eleven thousand one hundred. 174 runs at an average of 50.56. Of course, the first Australian player to get past the 10,000-run barrier. And also, he held the record Uh, for most runs uh, as a test cricketer for a while. Highest score of 205 amongst his 27 test centuries. And he also has, I'm just looking down here, he also has 39 test wickets in 98 innings as a bowler at an average of 39. So if he had a few more wickets, he could actually be sort of plus minus 13 or so, which is up there with, you know, Ravi Jadeja, better than a lot of the uh, top four or big four all-rounders that we talk about. Mm. He has two Test Match Fifers. He has a Test Match for against, I think it was against the West Indies um, as a bowler. Uh, in, as part of that, was a 7 for 46, I think, he had in, in that test match. So, underrated, or sorry, not underrated, but underused, I think, as a test bowler, Adam, Alan Border, because he was the captain. He sort of tended to under bowl himself. But yeah, they're the fifth fifth best test bowling figures ever in a match by a captain wow. uh, for Alan Border. And of course, for me, this. Having him at thirty, and 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 I'll, I'll just preempt this because I'm sure it's going to be a question. Alan Border is at thirty, not just because he was a great batter for Australia, but because of his leadership in one of the darkest hours or periods for Australian cricket after the retirement of Greg Chappell, of Dennis Lilly, of Rod Marsh, um, and of course then the tearful resignation of the captaincy of Kim Hughes in 1984. Australian cricket, well, Nadir's don't get much more de- Nadirish than 1984 for Australia. And of course, come Alan Border. And it took him five years to win back the Ashes. But of course, then we sort of held it for a while after that. But he set up that belief, that mental belief, that sheer determination and will to win cricket games that took him, you know, at least J- Joe Root's tenure, five years as a test captain, mm. just to get to a position where he was able to start winning tests for Australia.
2: I'll, I'll just quickly jump in because yeah, I, I think I missed really Alan Border's career, and I, I didn't really get to see. You know, I kind of caught the end of it ninety two World Cup. I think we've talked about a number of times. It's sort of my been my first real entry point into cricket. What I mean, you touched on it there with the leadership, but I guess what was it about him that you that he became your hero? Because I, I think that. Uh, Leadership isn't really something you necessarily notice as a 910 year old, is it? Oh, I think I think so in that he was he was the captain, he was the man in charge and he did it
1: because he just put such a high value on his wicket. He was determined that it doesn't matter what's going on around me, I'm just not going to get out and I'm going to stare down the most fearsome bowlers in the history of world cricket at the other end in the form of the West Indies and in the form of that England bowling attack in the 80s was not far behind that. And, he go, and I'm just not going to get out. I'm only going to play three shots. I'm a bit like Alistair Cook. I'm going to play a square cut and I'm going to push the ball through the offside, through the covers, tuck one around the, off the hip maybe, and that's about it. And he's just, I'm just not going to give you my wicket. And I'm going to place a tremendous amount of value on that and you're going to have to prize me out. And as a batter who didn't have much skill, all I really had was, okay, well, I'm just going to try and not get out. And I'm going to bet for as long as I can. And if I get a you know, nudge a couple around, then so be it. So to me, Alan Border is the ultimate nudger, and he and he personifies and typifies that not uniquely Australian, but so almost quintessentially Australian spirit. That in order to get me out, you're almost going to have to take my life as well as my wicket, because I'm just not going to give it to you that easy. Mm. And I mean, you talk about his leadership. His leadership was as a leader, not as a winner. Because he didn't win a series as captain until 1987. He took over in 1984. So it's a long time before he won a test series as captain. Didn't win the Ashes until 1989. And most captains would have stepped down by a long way before then, or would have been pushed. So such was the lack of alternates for Alan Border, and such was his determination and bringing the team together that he was able to pull Australia out of the quagmire and then into um,
0: into a period of success. Guys, I guess I'm a little bit older than than both of you in the in the room there, and for me, I think he's the bridge between that very very successful. Um, Australian era of what probably the mid 90s onwards really um, and Bordie it's really strange you, you kind of this is going to turn into a bit of a Duncan Fernley commercial but <laughs> you know my first memory of him is actually linked to that as well um, my uh, my dad was lucky enough to represent my cricket league the Birmingham league back in the UK in a centenary match against a Duncan Fernley eleven, um, which had um, Alan Alan Border in it, I was the recipient of a Duncan Fernley Magnum as a result of that, because um, I actually met Duncan himself and he, he wrote my name and address down on a, uh, a brown envelope that was in his pocket and then sent me a uh, sent me a bat afterwards, actually with posters of all of. The players in that stable at that time that included um, Alan Border and, and Ian Botham. But Beautiful. yeah, I guess it really is that sort of legacy that he really set up, I think, Steve Waugh. Ricky Ponting, in terms of the way that they captain that side and probably the pride and that little bit of grumpiness, I think, Mm. um, that you probably needed. Um, You know, famously didn't talk to David Gower and Ian Botham in that 1989 Ashes. Said, you know, I'll have a beer with you after the season, but I'm not even going to talk to you whilst we're on the field because we're here to win a cricket series. So that definitely the legacy that I think um, he had. I know we're going to go over time, Bordy. I do want to ask you one question on this. His average and, you know, obviously his run scoring kind of puts him, um, puts him up there how, how might he have been a bit higher because I'm sure we're going to talk about some players that maybe on the eye test in terms of their flamboyance or mm. um, you know their strike rate might be a little bit higher are those the things that kind of have him down at, at this stage of the list rather than that little bit higher
1: oh yeah look I mean his average at 50 and a half is probably the thing that brings him back towards the pecky. I, I mean he only made I say only he made twenty seven hundreds. he made 63 test 50s though which is third all time yeah, right. so he got past 50 a lot. I mean the thing that brings him up in my view is that he averaged 74 against the West Indies in the West Indies in 83-4. He's the only guy who averaged more than 65 in the entire 1980s going to the West Indies as a batter. Wow. Um, so he, he gets ticks for that but yeah that overall average of, of 50 and a half and I think if you play long enough your average kind of comes back to the pack a little bit doesn't it you know. Even with Tendulka who was averaging 57 58 at one point in his career finished with 53-4 because he had such tremendous longevity Alan Border was the same. So, yeah, I think it's probably the average that, that brings him back. I'm just going to leave you with my favourite Alan Border story. So, my favourite Alan Border story, I can't remember if it's 89 Ashes or, or a little bit earlier. Craig McDermott had a run in. Now, Craig McDermott is a Queenslander and Alan Border was his Queensland captain. And Craig McDermott lipped off to Alan Border in a tour, ma- tour match in the lead up to a test. And Alan Border says, Don't you <laughs> test me. If you're going to test me, I'll put you on the next plane home. And if he's prepared to do that to a fellow Queenslander, that just tells you how tough and how uncompromising he was as a leader. So, you know, that's my favourite Alan Border story. That and telling uh, Dean Jones that if he doesn't get back out there in India and uh, when he was scoring the double hundred and spewing all over the place, we'll get a fat cat like uh, Greg Ritchie out there, whose nickname was Fat Cat listeners, by the way, I'm not... Casting aspersions on Greg Ritchie, we'll get a uh, Queensland out there who will who, do a job properly, and you know. So get back out there and, and show your metal. I love Alan Border; he's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant.
2: One of the one of the classic uh, testimonial matches of all time, as well. Mm. We better move on, Binksy
0: Yeah, let, let's move on and look. I think uh, we're talking about high batting averages and long careers. We move on uh, to India for the next person on the list. So. Bit of a, a divisive uh, character now in the in the modern game. Who are we going to talk about? At number twenty nine, Baldy. Uh, I've just looked at all my notes here. They're almost exactly the same. Powers of concentration doesn't
1: give his wicket away. Defence first. I've just got the wall before the wall here. Uh, we're talking about Sunil Gavaskar, the veteran of 125 tests for India and 10,112 runs. The first man ever to make 10,000 runs in test cricket, I believe, with 34 test hundreds as an opening bat. Gee, that's an impressive stat. And an overall average of 51.12, 45 50s and an average above replacement player that's about 17th all time. And that 3,400, that's 6th all time. I think I've got that stat right. That's incredible, isn't it, really? Um, most hundreds as an opener. Um, doesn't have a great bowling average. Took one <laughs> wicket at an average of about 200 and something, um, and a strike rate of about 340. But if you have a look at his peak series, 70-71 against the West Indies, in the West Indies, averaged a tremendous amount. You know, West Indies in India averaged 90, Australia in Australia averaged 100. He was just a prolific, prolific opening batter for India as a player. And I looked at his career really mostly as a player. I've kind of not ignored his controversial comments or his propensity to be controversial afterwards in the media, but I've chosen to, maybe I'm a little bit biased, chosen to focus on his batting excellence as the reason for having him in the top 30 in the Hall of
0: Fame. Baldy question for you have you got a, a I guess a comparison of that home v away record obviously a prolific run score how does that stack up
2: I've actually got it here Binksy it's and and it was one that's uh I guess surprised me a little bit because uh you often see the home average being high but his away average is slightly higher I mean very very close it's 50 to 52 I believe but yeah, I I, uh, I the thing that actually struck me the most out of him I mean you mentioned the the West Indies stuff his first eight innings in Test cricket series against the West Indies he scored 65 67 116 64 not out then he failed he only scored one but then he made it up for it because he scored 117 not out 124 and then 220. That has to be the greatest start to international cricket ever. Surely, surely, eight Uh, eight innings. How many hundreds does he have? That's got to be a thousand runs, just about. It's it's just absolutely unreal.
1: He's got four hundreds in his first eight bats and a double hundred
2: against the you know against the West Indies. I mean, they weren't quite the West Indies of that you know the the great West Indian side still though. But yeah, just just unbelievable stuff from from Wow. I mean, he's
1: four double hundreds, three series averaging over 90. The one that stood out for me, um, 732 runs in a series as captain. That's the most runs uh, by any batter in a series as captain, apparently, uh, in a regular sort of, you know, bilateral test series, you know, ICC Test Championship, notwithstanding. Look, he has been controversial in his career. He has courted controversy off the field for some of his comments and the way he sort of um, interacts on social media. Look, I tend to I tend to ignore social media these days, and and, and I think it, you know. It's quite easy to be controversial on social media, I suppose, um, so I've, I've tended to, to ignore that and just focus on his batting and the belief that he gave the Indian team, who weren't all that, Not I won't say that they were unprofessional, but he took them to a new level of professionalism as part of
2: his career. Did, did any of you guys get uh, much eye test on him?
0: Yeah, look, I guess it' really good that he's one of those players. He, he's a little bit before our time, isn't he, really, um, all of us in the room. But there's still plenty of footage out there. Um, reminiscent for me, a, a lot of you can see a lot of Sachin Tendulkar, or you can see a lot of Gavaskar, I suppose, in Sachin Tendulkar. Not just the fact that I think he handed down the pads to him—you know, those uh, molded pads that uh, that Tendulkar was so famous for wearing—that Doni now sports as well. And mm-hmm. um, but lo- yeah, lots of sort of little idiosyncrasies that you've seen probably in some of those Indian. Um, players that that have followed him, uh, and yeah, look, just a really graceful player. Um, quite a short man, diminutive man. Pl- you know, played the pull shot um, quite well. Um, really, really fast on his feet. So yeah, th- I, that's what I probably took away from that um, that eye test. Um, it, it's a really difficult one because I think we've all interacted with him more probably as a commentator than as a than as a player in our era. And I, I just can't quite get my head around the fact that I, I really. Um, I'm trying to unlink how good he was as a player with um, how much I really disliked listening to him as a commentator.
1: Yeah, he's a a divisive guy, really, as a a commentator. He he does have that. The only other stat that I just wanted to touch on before we move on, 47 tests as captain of India, 30 draws out of 47 tests. They played a lot of draw cricket over that period of time. That's the third highest for any captain that's captained 25 tests or more.
0: Well, let's move on to another batter in the list. I guess one bit of uh, interest in in Sonogavaskar we didn't mention. He was the former sheriff of Mumbai as well, apparently. So um, there you go, board. He didn't come up on your stat sheet. Did not have Um, that, no. So look, we've got a a real batting theme to this episode of the Hall of Fame. We're going to go to another veteran of over 100 tests and over 10,000 Test runs. Um, a, a modern player. Who have we got um, on the list next, Border? Eh? Yeah. I- I didn't mean to do this, but all five of the batters that we're going to talk tonight, we're going to
1: talk about five batters. Of all, all members of the 10,000 run club, I think actually most of the people that we're going to have in the top 20, if they're a batter, are going to have uh, 10,000 runs or pretty similar. So we're going to talk about a Pakistan veteran of 118 tests, 10,099 runs at an average of 52 and a half, again with 34 test 100s and 33 50s. I'm talking about Eunice Khan, a member of the 10,000 run club. But I think he's the most under the radar of any of these members of the ten thousand run club because if I'm honest, I probably remember him playing three, maybe four innings that I remember watching him play. Mm. But he's he's amassed ten thousand ten thousand runs. He I think he has one of the highest averages in the foot in the fo- in the fourth. I'll say I'll say that again. He has one of the highest averages of any batter, or, or the most number of runs of any batter in the fourth inning. So he's a, a fourth inning specialist just a tremendous, tremendous player. I mean, his highest score, 313 there. He has a, a 50s to 100s ratio of better than 1 to 1, so he's got more 100s than 50s, which is a pretty rare club. Um, you know, he's a tremendous, tremendous player. Again, 34 Test 100s, and some of those peak series
2: averaging over 100 as well. He must have one of the better ratios of 100s per test. I know you do that stat because... Mm. Um, yeah. Top 15,
1: 16, 1600s per 100 tests or 100 innings. And, yeah, uh, it's 14th all-time amongst the players that qualified for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, very, very impressive. What do we want to talk about, Yunus Khan? I mean, he's just one of those guys that just so quietly went about his business and accumulated runs and runs and upon runs upon runs, year after year after year. But he did it without fuss. He did it without controversy. He just went about his job as part of that big Pakistan middle order that seemed sort of almost impregnable at times with um, Inzamam and with Yunus and then with Muhammad Yusuf as well. It just feels like to me this guy is probably the most un- almost underrated but unheralded member of of this Hall of Fame because he's got ten thousand runs and I don't have anything really to say about the guy other than his tremendous stats.
0: Yeah. Look, I probably saw quite a lot of, of Eunice Khan and in I guess in my era as well, he played a, a fair amount of county cricket. So I, th- I think right in same border, you might have this closer to hand than me. Definitely played for I think Nottinghamshire and and Yorkshire. Might have even had a stint later in his career as well in um, in county cricket. And his record against England, I, I just remember you know seeing him score. Um, a hell of a lot of runs against England and certainly recall a big double hundred um, that he got and look I think um, he he got six or seven in his career so um, chances are you're going to score against England when you play that much test cricket um, against them and, and then probably the, the other thing that kind of really I think about when I think of, of Eunice Khan is really how he kind of stuck around sort of you know relatively late and as Pakistan cricket was sort of starting to have that real momentum and that um, I was going to say renaissance but that's the the wrong word and, and then continued on from a coaching perspective as well mm-hmm. um, and, and really sort of you know cemented that legacy and I think a lot of the modern um, Pakistani batters particularly talk about the influence he had a, um, on them um, in their career, as he was in that coaching setup for uh, for the PCB for a period of time as well. Um, but yeah, quite graceful, quite quite underrated. You know, I, I, I guess you know a little bit of a cliche, but very strong with that sort of uh, leg side. You know, flick and and the way that he'd hit the spinners and um, through you know through the leg side really smother um, the spin. Um, but yeah, like, like you say, Baldy, we, we're going to come onto a couple of players and he's probably one of those where you look at the record and you, and you don't probably put him in the same echelons, but you can't argue with the numbers, particularly that conversion rate.
2: Mm. My my, my um, overriding memory of Eunice Khan is, is him actually with the ball when he bowled. Uh, New Zealand listeners, I'm sure, will remember from this era when he bowled it over to Craig McMillan that went for 26, which was a world record at the time. And everyone was kind of, you know, sort of one of those moments in test cricket. The game was kind of meandering on and uh, suddenly, you know, McMillan's there with one ball to go and everyone's going, oh, he can get the record here, he can get the record here, and he whacks it away and, and scores that. But the the thing I always look for when we do these Hall of Fames is around the, the home and away and all the averages and stuff that we just talked about with uh, with Gavaska. But the, in doing that, it showed me really... I guess how tricky it must have been for Pakistan as a cricket nation. I know we talked about, um, you know, all that sort of stuff about countries now just going back there to test cricket. But he played over a hundred tests. He only played nineteen games at home mm. in his whole career. He played twenty-eight at a neutral venue. Seventy-one of those games away. So that's tough, that eh? That's that is hard. I, I think that that's probably something that doesn't really get talked about enough for those players in those er- in that era because. Yeah, you're on the road all the time. You even yeah, even when you're at a neutral venue, you're, you're still on the road essentially. So. And you
1: and you're not in front of your own fans. Yep. You know, well, not to say that the the Pakistan fans didn't come out and support them in the UAE, but it's a different level. It's a different atmosphere than yep. when they are at home. So yeah, you, you have to to ha- you have to sympathise with these guys. I mean, we've seen it in. In sports all over the world now, teams having to travel and be based in other countries, New Zealanders have experienced that with their rugby league teams and with their basketball teams and to a certain extent with their football teams. But these guys were doing it year after year after year. Yeah. And that touring life that we know is tough for a cricketer was doubly tough for these guys. So absolute props and credit to to all of those Pakistan players that played most of their career never having played and enjoyed a test in their home country.
0: Mm. Well, Bordy, remarkably, we're going to move on to another member. And I think you mentioned it of this uh, 10,000 run club. In fact, probably pretty close to 12,000 uh, test runs. Um, if my math is correct, just the 131 centuries across his professional career. Where where are we going um, next on well, our let's go, hall of let, fame, let's go over to the
1: West Indies and let's talk about Narayan Chanderpaul, one of the all-time—I won't say classical batters, but—but but, <laughs> but, but, but a tremendous, tremendous career. Let's go over the stats, and we'll get to the eye test. So, just covering off the stats: 164 tests. Wow, mm. 164 tests. Eleven thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven runs for the West Indies, and an average of fifty-one point three seven. Thirty hundreds and sixty-six half centuries. That's second all-time, and he's got an average above replacement player that's plus 10.06. So that's good enough for 24th all-time. I mean, his career is all about the longevity, isn't it, really? And the ratio of runs to technique that is probably second all-time behind Stephen Smith, I think, in terms of number of runs scored versus technique that he scored them with. I mean, it was a very, very peculiar, very unique stance that he set himself up with. But really, what he was trying to do was trying to line the ball up and then get himself into a good position when the ball was bowled. And,
2: and actually, he always was, he always was in a good position. Thing, yeah. you, you kind of go on and uh, it, it made, it got a lot of coverage, his stance. But then as soon as, uh, as soon as the ball was actually delivered, he was bang on right there, ready to go.
1: Absolutely. And it's a bit like, you know, it's the Rory Burns, the Steve Smith bowled conversation. Alarm.
2: It's, it's
1: are they in a good position to hit the ball when the ball is bowled to them and when the ball reaches them as a batter? Now, there is more to go wrong for Shiv Paul than there is for Zach Crawley, but you can't argue with the effectiveness. I mean, after he had that heel surgery and he actually wasn't injured anymore, he went on an incredible run of sort of eight years or something. Stuart, you want to walk me through the
2: stats? From the start of 2007 to the end of 2014, eight-year span, 59 tests, 99 innings, averaged 69 with sixteen hundreds and twenty five fifties over eight years. Over eight years. That's that, that's that's what you call a peak. Mm. And I mean, I uh, you you know, you guys. We just talked about Eunice Khan as being maybe one of the most underrated. I actually think, like, when you talk about great batters of all time, there's no mention of Chandrapol. Chandrapol is not. I feel like. Well, maybe I'm again listening to I the think wrong right. conversation. I think but you're right. You do not hear a word of Chandrapol, and. I that is unbelievable for someone for an eight-year span to average sixty-nine in Test cricket. That mm. that is amazing. And
1: there's, there was a lot of there, there was a lot of criticism of Shiv Chanderpaul earlier on in his career. I mean, he was in Lara's shadow for the first little bit of it. Let's let's face it. But he was injured a lot. He was he was. There were people were talked about him being frail, him being unable to convert. He had the same kind of challenges and criticism that Joe Root has had up until recently, you know, lots of fifties, but very little, very little in the way of big centuries. And until they actually diagnosed him with bone spurs in his heel, he was injured a lot. He was unable to play test cricket on a regular basis. Once he got that figured out, he was away. And actually, he was the guy, a bit like Alan Border, who just held West Indian batting together series after series and year after year, because he didn't get a lot of help at all in the back half of his career once once Brian Lara retired. I mean, no disrespect to any of the players that batted with him, but he was in a different class to the rest of that West Indies team for half of his career, and there was no one that was on his level.
2: Yeah, Binksy, yeah. do you think that's it? Is, that, is it just
0: the fact that his team's kind of lost more than they won? Is that why we don't talk about him? Look, I, I definitely think so, but I, I do want to pick up on that point from Baldy. So, Baldy, you may have mentioned this um in some of those statistics but um the, the, i saw an interesting stat um played as we mentioned 100 and near, near on 160 test matches i think um when lara was playing average 44 when lara wasn't playing average 70 yeah so re- really took that um that mantle on um in, in terms of yeah holding that side together and and look i i think probably played in that era where West Indies had sort of slowly started to decline, hadn't they? A lot of players moved into sort of franchise cricket and they didn't have that sort of consistency, um, particularly in that, um, yeah, in that top order. But um, yeah, a thorn, definitely a thorn in England's side. And and the thing I just really do want to reiterate from your comments, you've seen a lot of this when you kind of look at the analysis of techniques. Um the, the five or six seconds before the ball was bowled, you would never show that to your son, would you? Um, or, or daughter as, as the way to set up. But once the ball was on its way down, it was actually pretty classical, to be honest.
1: He mm, was fantastic, and just to double double back on the on the you know forty four with help, seventy without help, he won seven Player of the Series awards throughout his career, and I think that's up there like top top six, top seven, something like that. I don't have the stats to hand, but you know that's how little help he got, and how important he was to the fortunes of the West Indies. That even though he lost a lot of cricket over the
2: course of his career. He still managed to win player of the series seven times. That, that actually is remarkable when you think that he only had 39 test wins over his whole career. Yeah, exactly. And if he's won, and, you know, probably you're thinking that 10, 12, 15 of them have come in those, in those series that you're just talking about right mm. there.
0: Well, we've alluded to it a couple of times throughout the course of the podcast. We are going to get to number 26, so the last person that we're going to talk about on this episode of the Hall of Fame. It is another member um, of that illustrious 10,000-run club. I'm sure this is going to be one of Baldy's cricketing heroes. He's also um, one of mine, um, Baldy, um, which I'm sure you'll you'll appreciate. Um, who are we going to talk about number 26? Well, we're going to talk about the man who
1: he's had a lot of impact on cricket, but I think the greatest impact that this player has had in terms of the cricket world has been the captain's diary. I (laughs) mean, we've all read a captain's diary. Everyone's got one. Now, even if you're not captain, you can have a captain's diary nowadays, but Stephen Roger war, um, I think that's his middle name. I better not have got that wrong with With a D. There you go. Uh, Stephen Roger war, he was the man who, no, he didn't invent the captain's diary, but he popularised the captain's diary. So we're going to talk a little bit about his career. And I'm just looking down at the humble little Top Order podcast uh, sporting bookcase there. And there's at least two or three captain's diaries in amongst them of Steve War, of course, wearing the baggy green that he wore so often, even when uh, he went to other sporting events at Wimbledon and courted controversy <laughs> Uh But we're going to talk about his cricket career. We'll talk about 168 test matches, 10,927 test runs. That's 11th all-time. Average of 51.06, 3200s, 50 half-centuries, and an average above-replacement player of plus 9.5. Of course, he averaged 37 with the ball in Test cricket until the back injury kind of curtailed that. He has best bowling figures of 5 for 28. He had three Test 5-fers, no 10-fers, but he had an 8 for in Test cricket. He has the most 90s in Test cricket as well, 10 90s in Test cricket. And, of course, famous for that 200 against the West Indies. He took on Ambrose and Walsh. um, And really, that was the beginning of the end for the West Indies, and the end of the beginning, I think, for Australian cricket as they kind of met. And I I look back at that series as – and and dads will kind of be able to relate to this. At some point in your life, you will be playing sport against your son and your son is on his way up in his life and you're on your way down. And there's a point – where he beats you at basketball for the first time or he bowls you out, genuinely bowls you out for the first time and your son is on his way up in life and you're on your way down. And I (laughs) feel like that's what that moment was in 1994-5 with that Australia-West Indies series. Australia was on the ascendancy and the West Indies were just starting to decline a little bit and Steve Waugh was really at the forefront of that confrontation, that heavy confrontation, both physical and mental, uh, between the Australia and and the West Indies. Lots and lots of runs. Binksy, before we get into some of my stories, I just want to come to you. You mentioned him as one of your heroes. I think it's quite possible that you hold him in higher esteem and higher regard than I do.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, I'll probably do. And, and look, this is going to surprise a few people on the podcast. My two cricketing heroes are both Australian, Ian um, Andrew Healy and Stephen Roger Wall. Um, came across Steve Wall as an eight-year-old, um, an eight-year-old kid. He actually played for my club back in Birmingham, um, Smethwick, and um, only played three games um, because a young then Martin Crowe was the overseas player for Somerset. Uh, Steve War was the uh, the second overseas player for Somerset in that season. Mar- Martin Crowe broke down uh, and Steve War was summoned from uh, my club at Smethwick. And I- I'll tell a very quick anecdote on that. Somerset was so... Um, so sorry that they'd had to rip him away from us where he was going to play the whole season. They sent just a mere four players to replace him for the rest of the season. So they gave us a couple of batters, an off-spinner and a medium pacer um, in exchange for, for Steve War. He played, yep, yeah, three games for, for Smevic, two hundreds. Um, and the game after he was summoned... Um, to go and play for Somerset, he actually got a, a hundred on county debut uh, for Somerset down at, at Hampshire. But the story that resonates the most for me is, uh, and probably where his career, probably to an extent, and um, can really d- be defined as well, is he was a, a fantastic one-day player. Um, you know, brought a lot of belief to that to that Australian side. And my dad was batting with him in a game where. Um, a run ball was unheard of, and um, we needed, I think, seven and over over the last sort of nine overs of the game to win. And my dad recalls a conversation. He was in the middle with him, and he said to him, what do you reckon? We, you know, we need uh, we need seven and over off the last nine, uh, to which Steve Ward just said, mate, we'll piss it. And they yeah. won it with an over to spare. Um, so yeah, look, absolute hero uh, hero for me, Baldy. Led's or probably Baldy, I guess, the most, can...
2: I, I guess we've talked a bit before about Borders leadership, and you you alluded to that war was maybe the natural successor. I guess can we do a compare and contrast? How how do they actually stack up against each other in terms of their leadership? Because I feel like you know you talked about uh, I guess Borders some of Borders clashes, I suppose, with some of his players, mm. but but it seemed like there was a lot of love for Border even with that Mister Grumpy tag, whereas. War, it seemed like he did rub some people up the wrong way. I mean, definitely Warren and, and him had their clashes at times. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the thing with Alan Border's sides is they were underdogs and
1: they knew they were underdogs, right? So there is there is a bit of a coming together that happens with teams that know they're underdogs because the only way that you can win is to come together and be more than the sum of your parts. And that's not to say that, you know, Steve War's forty-one wins, nine losses, seven draws. You know, that's best win ratio first win percentage, second and draw percentage of test captains of all time who've captained more than 25 tests, there's nothing to write that record down and say, well, he didn't have a great relationship with his players. I think in the Australian cricket team, there are always going to be one or more factions, if you like, of one or more players that that are just of a different mould. You know, they're different types of human beings and not all human beings get along brilliantly in a team environment. Steve Waugh's teams were able to come together because he was so good at making them feel like they were the best cricket team in the world. Mm-hmm. And Steve Waugh's teams knew they were the best, trained like they were the best, went out on the cricket field and acted like they were the best 11 cricketers in the world, even if they weren't. Mm-hmm. You know, Even if they had a, I don't know, a Tim May or a or a, I don't know. A, 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 a Who Michael else do you want to throw
2: under the bus? A Michael
1: cash <laughs> or something like that. Like a, a player that... If you went down the team sheet and you looked at him against his opposite number, you'd go, well, Darren Goff's probably got Kasparovich's number today. Or, you know, Suck Lane probably has Tim, May- Tim May's number today. But in the mind of that individual player that put the baggy green on, that cap made him invincible. Whether or not you should be wearing it at Wimbledon is another story. But Steve Waugh made his players feel like they were the best 11 cricketers in the world at that time. And Steve Waugh used, and I use his term, mental disintegration to its utmost effectiveness, to make sure that the opposition knew at every single moment that his team and he and the bowler at the other end were the best cricketers in the world and you were dirt on their shoe. Now, whether or not you agree with that as a philosophy for playing cricket, some do, many don't. But that's what he was able to bring to his team and elevate them from a captain in Alan Border who brought them up from nothing, Mark Taylor, tremendous, tremendous tactical captain and understood the nous of trying to win games of test cricket with sometimes great attacks, sometimes not a lot. But he, he had the best, I think, tactical nous of a captain that I've ever seen. And Steve Ward just took that to the next level and went, right, I've got all the talent in the world here. I don't really need to do anything special because if I get in trouble, I'm just going to roll out Warner McGrath. And then I'm gonna roll out both War Brothers and Gilchrist and Hayden and Ponting and Damian Martin and, and you know Justin Langer and, and all these guys. I mean, he had the best cattle of, of just about anyone other than maybe Lloyd and and Viv Richards in the eighties in terms of players that he played with. But he he perfected sledging effectively. I mean, famously, you know, save some of that for me, when he's standing at the non strikers end is probably the best non striker sledge I think I've ever heard.
2: Well, you dropped the World Cup as is, uh, is a pretty handy one as well.
1: Allegedly. I mean,
2: we're not sure that he actually said that. So,
1: But he definitely said to a, I think it was a medium pace bowler that's bowled some rubbish, and he was standing at the non-strikers end and definitely said to the bowler, yeah, just save some of that <laughs> for me, which I think is great. Anyway,
2: sledging. Either like it or you hate it. And we've gone over time again. Binksy, you should take it. Take it. Any final thoughts and then uh, and then take us out?
0: Yeah, look, No final thoughts from me. He's involved in a number of those sledges. Probably the Jamie Siddons one, which I'm sure everyone knows about, is probably my my favourite one. Um, oh, tell all. it. That's a fantastic one. I'd forgotten about that one. Well, go on then. We'll now indulge you, you just this once.
1: Now you tell it, Adam. You used it in a club game. It was brilliant. Did I? Yeah, yeah. I remember you using it in a club game. So the sledge ghost, The sledge goes, ladies and gentlemen. That. Steve Waugh played a rare Sheffield Shield game against South Australia and Jamie Siddons was playing for South Australia. Tremendous batter. Probably should have played 20 or 30 tests, but he never did. Mm. And Steve Waugh walks out to bat for New South Wales with his baggy blue slash baggy green cap on because if you get a blue one, you always get a, get a green one. Walk, <laughs> walked out and scratched around for three or four minutes, counted the fielders, walked out the square leg, stretched, went back to the crease, scratched around again. And Jamie Siddons was standing in the court and says, Come on, mate. It's not a test match. And, of course, Steve War turns around immediately and says, I know, you're here.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs>
1: which, is, which has been used in a club game before as well. So Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous sledge. He's, he's got a bunch of them. Thank you, Steve, for your sledges and your captain's diaries.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Other sledges, of course, are available. But that does end this episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame. We'll be back with the next instalment, Counting Down from number 25 where we're going to include a politician a bass player and a squash enthusiast in the next installment of the list but for now it's good night from us here at top order towers good night god bless we'll see you soon